Well, good morning to you. Um, as you're sitting down, if you want to open up your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11 today, if you want to open up. Um, if I haven't met you before, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here at First Baptist, and it's a privilege uh, that Brad has asked me to be able to share a thought with you today. And so as I was preparing for our time together, I, I read about a consultant who was working with recent college graduates. And so he took this group of, of college graduates, and he brought them together, and he told them, He said, you know what, the people that are in the workforce today, they have a word to describe your generation, those people coming in. And so he told them, he looked at all of them and he said, you know what, they use a letter E to start this word. And so he said, what word do you guys think it is? So these are college graduates, they're bright ones. And so they start basically acting like a thesaurus and they start throwing out all of these different positive words to be able to describe their generation. Energetic, excellent, exceptional. And after they had gone through all of these different words and they were exhausted of all these different E-words, finally the consultant says, you know what? You didn't get it. You know what word people use in the workforce to describe your emerging generation? It's the word entitled. In fact, uh, millennials today are labeled as the entitled generation. A generation that feels that everyone owes them and that they deserve more than the generations before them. And now while you're sitting here, don't sit there and say, yeah. That younger generation, they don't just get it. (laughs) Understand this. That the attitude that the next generation has is because it was taught by them, to them, by the generations that came before them. And so as a result in America, we have generation after generation after generation that at times feels very, very entitled. So this morning, entitlement is not just something that the millennials deal with. To be honest, it's something that every single one of us here today deal with as well, an attitude of an entitlement. And so what I want to do in our time today is I want to flip the equation, and I want to share with you the opposite of entitlement, which I describe as the attitude of gratitude. And so we'll be looking at a story out of Luke chapter 17, um, at a group of people who really felt uh, entitled after Jesus acted in their lives. And so if you have your Bible, feel free to read along with me. Um, Here's where it starts in verse 11 of chapter 17. On the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Let me stop right there before we go on. And let me give you a little bit of context here. Somebody that dealt with the disease of leprosy had one of the most painful diseases that you could ever imagine. In fact, leprosy, if you've ever seen pictures of it, is quite disgusting on your eyes. And what would happen when you had this disease of leprosy is you would have these, these sores and they would literally ooze out and it was gross. And, and on top of that is, is, is the nerve endings of their body were so sensitive that just a little bit of touch would create this pain that literally would go throughout the body. But for the people that dealt with leprosy, the physical pain was one thing, but the emotional pain was something that was so much deeper. In fact, in this time, as we read in Leviticus chapter 13, um, the law said that if you dealt with leprosy, um, you weren't allowed to be in the normal community. And so there were leper colonies on the outskirts of community. And as anyone was going to come and walk by, literally they would have to stop what they were doing and scream out, unclean, 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 to let anybody that was going to come by, let them know that they were unclean, that they had this disease. And so imagine what that made those people feel like. 
Imagine the emotional scars that they had, that they weren't allowed to be with their family, that they were pushed away, they were social outcasts, that the only intimacy, if you will, that they had was with other people that dealt with leprosy as these social outcasts. And so this week, as I wrestled with what would have been like for me to have to deal with leprosy, what word would I use to describe the mindset that they had? And the only word that I could come up with was the word hopeless. Because for these men that we see in this passage today, that's what their life was like. They had no hope. And as I think about that and I make that personal, I couldn't imagine living my life without hope. And so these 10 guys, they're sitting there and, and they imagine, put yourself, I love to take and put myself into the scene in scripture. So imagine they're sitting there and, and uh, as they see coming off in a distance is this man that's been rumored that can heal them. And imagine the thoughts that were going on in the heads of these 10 individuals. Imagine one of them thinking, that guy, that guy over there, I heard about that guy. I heard he heals people. Jesus, Jesus, if only you could hear me. Jesus, if you could hear the words that I'm saying right now. God, I'm crying out to you. Jesus, could you heal me? Jesus, you're an answer to my prayer. Jesus, you're the one that can forever change my life. Imagine the thoughts the process that's going on in their mind as they see Jesus off in the distance, as they're crying out, Scripture says, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. See, that's all that they could do. They had reached the rock bottom. They had made it to the point of no return. There was no one that was alive in that time that could heal them. There was no medication that could be offered to give them a cure to what they were struggling with. No, they were hopeless because of the onslaught of this deadly disease. So so scripture says that they cried out for mercy. In fact, the Greek word that we see in this passage was ihalo, which means to help one that is afflicted or seeking aid. Quite literally, it meant to bring help to the wretched so that they could experience mercy. So they're begging the Lord Jesus Christ to have compassion on them, to help them in their time of need. And their only hope was placed in this man named Jesus that they had only heard rumors about, but they believed could heal them. Everything in their lives had come down to this moment, to this encounter that they were going to have with this man named Jesus. And as I bring that back upon ourselves today, aren't you glad that when you get to that place where your only hope is placed on Jesus, that he too will be more than enough for you as well? Listen to what scripture records in verse 14. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Jesus had compassion on them. He told them to go and present themselves to the priest as the law commanded. Now understand at this time, according to Leviticus 14, when somebody believed that they had healing, they were to go and present themselves to the priest. And the priest would tell them, basically kind of give them that rubber stamp of saying, yes, you're allowed to come back into our community. You have the clean bill of health. No more do you have to tell people that you're unclean. So Jesus told them to go out and to go and see the priest. But notice something that Jesus didn't do there. Jesus didn't immediately tell them, be healed. You're healed. Go on and go about your business. No, what did Jesus say? Let me read it one more time for you. When he saw them, Jesus said to them, go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were healed. See, my perspective on this is that faith is required for the helpless. 
See, it would have been easy for them just to sit there and wait for Jesus to say, be healed. But Jesus was asking them to take one step as well. Now, Scripture doesn't say if it was one step, if it was many steps. They don't need, scripture doesn't even say if they went a ways down the road before they were healed. But Jesus told them to go and take a step of faith. And in the same way for us, as we make this personal for every single one of us, wherever you're at in your relationship with God, God is calling you. God is asking you to take a step of faith, not just once, but daily take a step as you pick up your cross and follow Jesus every day of your life. But interesting here, as we continue on in verse 15, listen to what it says. Then it says one of them. Hold on. Wait, weren't there 10? Weren't there 10 of them at the beginning? But yet scripture says only one. And here's what one did. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at, on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Hold on for a second. Put yourself in that situation. Imagine it in your mind. It's as if Jesus was dumbfounded for a moment. Wait a minute. They were just begging. They were crying out. They were saying, Jesus, have mercy on us. They were in deep distress. They basically were at the bottom, bottom, bottom of where they could be in their lives. And yet they cried out to God. And it's as Jesus said, you cried out and God sent me. You received the miracle of all miracles. I answered the prayer. You are healed. But yet only one. But yet only one of them chose to go back and offer praise and gratitude. And as we take our step back from this passage, you got to think about those other nine for a moment. It doesn't necessarily mean that these other nine men were bad guys. I mean, imagine yourself for a moment that you've been in this leper colony, that you've been dealing with this disease that was so painful both physically and emotionally, and all of a sudden you're healed. I mean, Scripture doesn't say it, but I can imagine them. They probably weren't just going off like, wow, it's a pretty good day. I got healed. Going to go. I could imagine that they were hooping and hollering, going, yeah, high-fiving each other, going nuts. Because their life was forever different. But yet only one of them stopped to go and say thank you to Jesus. Scripture doesn't say why they didn't do it. But let me maybe throw a couple ideas that I have on why those nine didn't say yes. Um, Maybe one of them was waiting to see if this was really a cure or if it was just kind of some of those like things that happened. Or maybe another one of them was, was waiting to see if this healing would last for the test of time, that it wasn't one of those skin things that kind of comes back after a few days. Um, maybe one of them was thinking, well, you know what, this Jesus guy, he's going to be in town for a while. I'll get around to seeing him in a couple of days. I'm going to go celebrate with my friends. Or maybe one of them could have been one of those people that just lied to himself and said, you know what, I never had leprosy to begin with. Another could have thought, you know what, sooner or later I would have gotten better. I could have just waited this thing out. I would have been better. I don't need to go and say thank you. Or perhaps one of those nine decided to give the glory to the priest that went and gave him the clean bill of health. Or maybe like so many within our American culture today, um, maybe one of them said, oh, well, Jesus really isn't that significant anyways. Or maybe one of the men could have minimized Jesus and said, you know what? Any rabbi could have done that kind of healing. It wasn't that big of a deal. Or maybe the ninth was like how many, so many of us here today are. 
where they start to think about their life and he started to say, you know what, I didn't deserve that. I didn't do anything that I deserve to have leprosy. This miracle thing, I had it coming to me. I mean, this shouldn't have happened to me. What did I do to deserve this? And it's almost as if those nine men slipped into this idea or this mindset of entitlement. And yet only one of them, only one of them stopped. Only one of them got away from their little celebration party and went back to Jesus and said thank you and offered gratitude and thanksgiving. So my question for you today is quite simple. Will you be that one person? Will you be that one person that slows down in the busyness of your life to offer praise and gratitude to the God that created the heavens and the earth? Because to be honest with you, based on this passage this morning, the odds are stacked against you. Look at what the other nine did. So let me ask you again. Will you be the one? Will you be the one that stops whatever you're doing and offer praise and gratitude to the God that is the sustainer of our universe? Will you be the one that gives praise and honor and worship and glory to the one who, when you were still a sinner, sent his son so that you could receive eternal life even though you didn't deserve it? Will you be the one that not only praises God, but is willing to praise somebody else? Will you be the one that's willing to take and pin out a thank you note to offer praise and gratitude to how somebody has impacted your life? Will you be the one that slows down enough to thank maybe your child's teacher or Sunday school teacher or somebody that is making an impact in your family's life forever? Or are you just too busy? Or are you just too wrapped up in what you have to do right now to not stop and be the one? You might say, you know what, Scott, I'm not an ungrateful person. I'm a generally grateful type of person. You know what, to be honest with you, that's what I like to think as well. But as I've wrestled with this message, as I've wrestled with this idea of an attitude of gratitude, I've had to acknowledge that at times in my life, I'm really not that grateful at all. And so what I want to do is I want to show you from a different passage in Scripture today, out of Luke chapter 15, um, a different mindset of some ungrateful people. And this is a passage of Scripture. If you've been in the church world any time at all, you've seen it, you've read it, you've heard it, it's been preached. I've preached it before, and it's the prodigal son. But it's interesting that as we look at not just one son, but two sons who have a very interesting, ungrateful mindset. So if you're taking notes, if you want to fill this in, the first ungrateful mindset that I have for you today is the, the mindset of, I want it now. I want it now. It makes me think, remember that movie, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and the little girl, Veronica, something or another, and she said, but I want it now, Daddy! That's kind of the mindset, okay? Please don't ever let me say that again in church, that high pitch. <laughs> Whew. That's over. Um, but it's that mindset of, I want it now. It's interesting, this last week, um, my middle son and I went out on a daddy date. And so he's five, so we went to every five-year-old's favorite restaurant, which is McDonald's. And so as we went, we went up and we ordered, and then he got his chicken nuggets, and uh, I ordered my whatever it was, a Big Mac, and so we kind of shifted from the cashier over to the next counter where they give you your food. And so we stood there, and we kind of waited, and we waited, and we waited some more, and I found myself kind of getting to that, you know, that lean pattern, because one leg's getting tired, so let me do the other. And, and, and my son is kind of getting that same thing, this leg and this leg, Daddy, it's been a really long time. It's probably been like three minutes at this point, um, but it's been a while. 
And so the lady behind the counter was real nice. She came up. She said, you know what? We're getting a little bit behind today. Why don't you guys go grab a seat and we'll bring your food out to you? Okay, great. So we go and we do our thing. We go and sit down and we're sitting there. And at that point, now I'm the little kid. And I'm starting to think, man, you know what? It's been like five minutes since we've ordered. Five minutes and they haven't gotten our food to us. What is going on? And I'm starting to get these feelings of, I want it right now. And it's interesting because then I was convicted. Because... We're sitting there waiting while somebody else is grilling the hamburger, while somebody else is slapping on the bayonets and the ketchup and the pickles and putting it on, wrapping it up all neat and pretty and putting it on tray and bringing it out to us in less than five minutes. But yet I've been conditioned. I've been to this place where I demand that I want something right now, that I'm not willing to wait for something, even as simple as a Big Mac, for more than five minutes because I deserve it right now. And in the same way, as we look at this passage of Scripture from the prodigal son, that's kind of the perspective of the younger brother. So if you have your Bible open to Luke chapter 15, we're in verse 11. It'll be on the screen as well. And here's what happens. As there was a man who had two sons, and the younger one of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Let me pause right there. The younger son had that I want it now kind of mindset. See, traditionally, when do you receive your inheritance? After somebody passes away. But not this guy. He had that entitlement mindset. He had the mindset that says, I want to live my life. I don't want your rules and I don't want to wait. I want what you have and I want it right now. So the father, for whatever reason, gives in to the son. And if you know the story, the son, he went out and he squandered what his father gave him. He wasted it. He blew it all. He hired crazy women. He threw big cake priories, parties. He lived a wild life. What took the father perhaps years or decades to accumulate, the son wasted in a matter of days, weeks, or maybe a month. So let's flip the equation here and let's look at a different kind of uh, mindset, which is the one of, I deserve more. That I deserve more. See, because that prodigal son story deals with two brothers, not just one brother. The older brother struggled with this idea of, I deserve more. If you know the story, that son goes off. He wastes all of it, and one day he ends up in a pig pit wondering, how in the world did I get to this place? And he starts to think to himself, this was a stupid idea. I'm hungry. My serv- the servants at my father's house, they're eating more than I get to eat. I'm going to go back, and I'm going to go and beg for food. So the younger son decides, I'm going back. So as he goes back, he comes in, and his father sees him off in his distance. The father here in this pro- uh, parable is a picture of our heavenly father, And he's waiting at the edge of town and he goes, my son is back. And he throws a huge party. He clothes his son with a robe. He puts a ring on his finger. He takes a fattened calf. He goes and kills it. He says, steak for everyone. Let's have a huge party. But yet the older brother is doing something completely different. Why everybody is celebrating that the prodigal has come back. The older brother is outside having his own little party kicking rocks, having his own pity party, saying, I deserve more than this. I deserve more than what my father's given to him. I didn't do what he did. Why don't I get what he has? I have that coming to me. I deserve more. And listen to what scripture says in Luke 15, 29. He says this to his father, the older brother. Look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Somebody owes me. I deserve more. It's as if he was sitting there and saying, come on, dad, I deserve more than this. And here's what happens to us as we move to today's time. 
is so often in our American culture, these lies, these statements start to go on in our minds that say, I deserve more, that I deserve a better job, that I deserve the fancy car, that I deserve to live in that fancy neighborhood, that I deserve all of these different things that we're not willing to wait because we believe that we're entitled. And as you look at the context that we hear about is that inheritance thing, How often do we see families that are literally torn apart because of that entitlement mindset? That somebody thinks that they deserve more or that they want it right now. And literally families come falling apart. Ungrateful mindsets. One of the nine, not the one. So let's do this. Is what I want to do is I want to take a step back for a moment from this. And I want to look at each one of our lives very personally and very honestly And I want to ask you, do you struggle with thoughts or feelings of ungratefulness in your life? And would you be honest enough to be able to acknowledge it, not with me, not in a big group, between you and God? And so on your outline, there's a box right there in the very middle, and there's three different ideas that I have. I'll share them with you in just a moment. Would you be willing to acknowledge that maybe you, like me, at times, struggle with ungratefulness? The first ungrateful mindset um, that I see is, is the idea of material or financial ungratefulness in our lives. Let me, let me uh, illustrate it for you like this. I don't know if any of you were crazy enough to go out on Black Friday to do that little shopping. If you were, you're a sick puppy. Uh-huh. <laughs> but maybe you did. Um, I went out before Thanksgiving and I went to Costco. When you walk into Costco, they have all of these TVs, right, when you come in. And they have football on there. And they have this new 75-inch TV that's there. And when you see that 75-inch TV, you go, wow, I could imagine football on that. And then you go home and you look at whatever TV you have and you start to think, but mine isn't 75 inches. And you start to deal with this ungrateful mindset of saying, you know what, if only I could have that, I would be happy. Maybe for you it's not a TV, but it's your home. Maybe you walk into your kitchen and you look at your counters and you say, you know what, I wish I could have that kind of countertop that I saw in the design magazine. Or maybe you say, you know what, my kitchen isn't fancy enough. I need to remodel the whole thing. Or you walk into your bathroom and you look at your tile and you think, man, that's from like 1998. I need the newest stuff here. And you feel as if you need to replace whatever you have because you deal with this idea of material ungratefulness. I don't know if you're like me, but at times I walk into my closet and I look at my clothes that are hung so neatly by my wife and I say, you know what, I have nothing to wear. (laughs) But here's the problem with that. Who picked out the clothes? Most of them I picked out. But yet I look at all of those clothes and I think, man, there's nothing in there for me to wear. See, I've been to places in this world where people can honestly say, I have nothing to wear. But so often because we deal with this ungrateful mindset, We look at our closet because we don't like what we have to choose from in that moment. We feel as if we don't have anything good. I've heard people say, you know what? My car is three years old. My car is five years old. That heated seat button, it doesn't work fast anymore. And I need to go get a new car. Or or maybe they say, you know what? Uh, uh, My phone can't hook up and I want to listen to my podcasts or whatever. So I'm going to go into debt so I can buy the fanciest car because I'm ungrateful with the car that I have. Material or financial ungratefulness. Maybe it's you and your job. Maybe recently your employer blessed you with a little bit of an increase in your salary. And in that day you were so excited. Wow, I'm valued. Wow, they believe in me. Wow, I'm going to get a little bit more money. And then you look over just down the way and you see Sally there, who she doesn't work as hard as you do. 
She doesn't accomplish as much. She's not as valuable to the company as you think you are. And she makes more money than you do. So then all of a sudden you're now ungrateful because your raise wasn't big enough or higher than what Sally makes. Maybe you wish you could provide more for your kids. You wish you lived in that neighborhood instead of the neighborhood you live in. You really wish that you could take that fancy vacation that somebody else can take. I really wish, I don't know what it is for you, but call it. Are you willing to be honest enough today to say, you know what, Scott, I struggle at times with material or financial ungratefulness? If that's you, will you just put an X there? Will you mark it? I promise the only person that can see this is your wife or the person next to you. So be honest, all right? Um, Just mark it. It's okay. Um, We all deal with it. The next one that we have is, is the idea of relational ungratefulness. Maybe you're sick and tired of your family. I know that's awkward to say right after Thanksgiving, right? Christmas is coming. Get back together. Have fun. Kumbaya. Um, but maybe it's your family that you're sick of. Maybe they're always in your business. Maybe it's your in-laws, and so you, you don't like the fact that they want to be involved in your life. Or maybe you're a student, or you still live at home, and, and your parents won't do what you expect them to do for you, so you're getting so frustrated with them. Or maybe it's your husband. Maybe you deal with those ideas of, I wish he could this. Maybe you're struggling with the fact that, that maybe your husband um, could have a better job so that you could have some more money. Or maybe you wish that he was a spiritual leader. Or maybe you've written that to-do list for him and he just hasn't fixed the things that you wanted him to fix. If he would just this. Or let me flip it. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe your wife, you're wishing she would have a little bit more fun with you. Or maybe you wish she would be a little bit more romantically involved. Or you wish that she had a job or had a better job. Or you wish that she would spend more time with you and less time with her friends. He's not, she's not. And you start to deal with these relational ungratefulness thoughts. Or maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, you know what, I'm not happy because I don't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I wish that my boyfriend had a job. And you start to think of all these different relational ideas that make you ungrateful. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe your friends don't do what you expect them to do. They're not there for you when you expect them to be there. Maybe you're sitting here today and saying, you know what, I have too many friends. I can't keep up with all of them. And so you just kind of take them for granted. Today, can you be honest and say that at times you struggle with relational ungratefulness? If that's you, mark it down, put a checkbox, exit, whatever you want to do. The third thing that I have is, would be circumstantial ungratefulness. Maybe you've been praying and ce- without ceasing. You were praying and praying and praying and asking God to do something in your life. Maybe it was um, that God would heal somebody that you love. And God saw it within his will to answer that prayer. And right away, you move on from, whoa, God, thank you for, pr- for answering this prayer, to the next thing, the next circumstance, the next thing that has caught your attention. And you didn't take the time to stop. You didn't take the time to slow down and say, God, thank you for answering that prayer. Thank you, God, for showing your hand of mercy upon me or upon this person I love. That you allowed the circumstances of the moment to become so important that you don't stop to say thank you. Do you struggle with circumstantial ungratefulness? So let me ask you this. How do we do it? How do we live with an attitude of gratitude when we live in a culture that has an entitlement mindset? When every single one of us, if we were honest with ourselves or if we were honest before God, deals with all of these different types of ungratefulness in our lives. So how? How can we live with an attitude of gratitude? And bigger than just us living it, how can we pass that on to somebody else? Let me give you something so simplistic, it's profound, and here's what it is. is decide to turn your blessings into praise. Decide to turn your blessings into praise. 
There's a great song, it's uh, Blessed Be Your Name by Matt Redman. And uh, one of the, song, the lyrics in the song says, Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. I thought about singing it, but if I started singing, you won't be praising today. So, every blessing I pour out, every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. Why is it so important for us to understand that? Because the second thought that comes real quick right after there is every blessing that I don't turn back in praise turns into pride. Every blessing that I don't turn back to praise to God turns into pride. It's where we get into that entitlement mindset. I deserve this. I had this coming to me. I'm worthy of this. I deserve more and I want it right now. Call it what it is. It's pride. It's entitlement. Every blessing, every good thing, God, you are the giver of all good gifts. And God, I will pause. I will give you praise and honor and credit for everything that is in my life. God, I will cultivate an attitude of gratitude. I love what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul says that in whatever the circumstance, whether you're healthy or you're not, if you have a lot of money or if you don't, if you have a job or if you don't, if you have a lot of hair or if you don't have any hair at all, he says, I have learned what it means to live in need and I have learned what it means to live in plenty. And Paul says this, it's so profound. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. See, this is something you learn. It's a mindset. You train your mind, your heart, your attitude, your spirit. This is something you learn. It's not something that you do on your own. It is something that you do through Christ. And I love that what Paul writes at the very end of that passage, that I can do all things through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. So let me make this practical. The next time you say that I'm sick of my car, let me flip that perspective for you. And say, God, thank you that I am in the top 3 to 5% of the world's population and I have transportation to get me from point A to point B that doesn't involve my two feet. The next time you say, you know what, my house is always messy, flip it. And say, God, thank you that I have family and friends that are willing to come over to my home to make a giant mess so that we can enjoy one another's company. (laughs) Or maybe the next time you say, my house is too small. To look around and say, God, thank you that you gave me a place to lay down my head. That, God, you blessed me with a heater. That you gave me a toilet to go when nature calls. And that you gave me running water that most people in this world don't have in their home. Or maybe the next time that you get frustrated with somebody at your work. And you get so frustrated, you're thinking, why am I here? That you flip it and you say, God, thank you that you have called me for a time such as this to work in a place such as this because in a world and in an economy where so many people don't have a job, God, you blessed me with one and thank you. Or maybe it's your body and you say, God, I don't like this about my body. No, flip it. And say, God, thank you that you have given me the temple of your Holy Spirit. That, God, you have given me this breath of air that I am enjoying in this moment. And that you have given me this day, today, to live for you. And the exterior doesn't matter because, God, you could care less about that. So, what does this mean for us? 
when I think about this season that we're starting, this Christmas season, with all of the chaos that we're going, just in case you didn't know, 24 days until Christmas, just throw that out there, is here's what I want to challenge you to do, is to take a deep breath, to smell the roses, and with all the hustle and bustle for the wrong reasons, can I implore you to thank God for who he is and not what you get from him? Let me go back to that passage of scripture that we started with today. When Jesus healed the lepers, only one of them came back to offer an attitude of gratitude. Only one of them slowed down enough to offer praise and thanksgiving. But it's so easy for us to live as the other nine. It's so easy to be wrapped up in our own little lives that we don't stop to offer thanks and praise to God and to other people. And let me bring you back to that other question again. Will you be that one? Will you be the one that changes the way that you do things, that offers praise, first of all, to the God that created the heavens and the earth, and second, to maybe somebody that God has used to impact your life? Will you be that one? Will you be the one to show honor and gratitude to somebody else? So in your bulletins today, there was a card. If you could take that out right now, it looks like this. Pull it out. Uh, We're going to do a little uh, play-along activity here for just a moment. In the middle is this card. It says, uh, in appreciation of you. As you pull it out, let me ask you a question. Who has impacted you or your family's life recently? How did they impact you? And as you look down at that card, would you write down the name of that person that God has used to impact you or somebody else close to you. And now my challenge to you is that this week, tonight, maybe today before you leave this place, would you take the time to express your gratitude to somebody else in your life? Whether you need to stick that card in the mail or if you need to go and hand deliver it to somebody, would you live with an attitude of gratitude? Maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, you know what, I haven't been praising this God that created the heavens and the earth very much. Maybe this card needs to be out of the overflow of your heart, just an expression of gratitude to God, and it's a prayer. Or maybe you need to write it to somebody else. And if you feel so led right now why I share this last thought with you, I will not be offended if you write a card why I share one last story with you. When I started in ministry, somebody very wise told me that whenever you receive a note, Whenever you see a note, an encouragement note, a communication card, whatever it is, this person told me to keep them. So for the last eight and a half years that I've been staff here, on staff here at First Baptist, I've kept every single card that I've received. I've received cards from uh, when I was a youth pastor from parents who were thanking me for how God used me in their students' lives. I received cards from kids who are now adults having kids. I receive cards from community members, from other staff members. I receive cards from a few of you that are sitting in here today. And I kept every single one of them. You want to know why? Because in our lives so often, we hear those negative words. We hear those negative thoughts in our mind. And those words of encouragement go so far. So this last week, I went back and I opened up that file. And I started to read through some of those notes. And and it was so interesting to go back through that journey that God's taken me through over these last eight and a half years. To see how God has used me to impact somebody else's life. And you want to know know why I know that? Because somebody took the time to say thank you. Somebody took the time to acknowledge how God used me in their life. And I don't say that to pat myself on the back and say, wow, somebody sent me a thank you note. No, I'm telling you it to show you how you can impact somebody else's life by something as simple as a little card. So here's what maybe you can do. Maybe today as you're sitting here and you're thinking about somebody that has impacted you, 
Maybe you need to write them a thank you note and say, thank you for impacting my family. Thank you for impacting me. Thank you for the eternal difference that you've made in my life. Maybe you've seen somebody in your life and you've seen Jesus just shine through them. Maybe what you need to do on this card is you need to say, you know what, the other day, I saw Jesus shine through you like I've never seen before. Keep it up. It's awesome to see Jesus shine through you. Or maybe it's somebody that you know in your life that doesn't know who Jesus is yet. And maybe you need to write them a note and say, you know what, God has something so great in store for you if you would just trust in him. I know that you can trust in him and I know that God's going to do amazing things through you. I don't know how this is landing for you. I don't know how it's tickling your heart, how it's tickling your mind, but I do know this. That as Christ followers in the year 2013, Christ never called us to live by an entitlement attitude. Christ never called us to demand that we get our way. He never said, I want it now and I get it this way. And he never said to go and live with an ungrateful attitude. Remember, Jesus was dumbfounded that only one of them was willing to come back and say thank you. And so during this Christmas season and beyond, are you going to live as one of the nine or are you going to be the one that offers praise and gratitude to the God that created the heavens and the earth? Friend, will you live with an attitude of gratitude? That's for you to wrestle with God.